Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 19, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, July 17th is 7837. That's 7837. This morning, A Vision for You celebrates its third anniversary with a very special edition, 12 testimonials as to the power and results of the program of recovery. Many people consider the program of recovery, the 12 steps, one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. There is no telling how many lives have been touched by the 12 steps. It enables people of all different kinds, all different types, from all different backgrounds, people who would normally not mix, to somehow come together and in spite of all the odds, experience change, transformation, like never seen anywhere else. What a miracle. 12 simple steps, which anybody can apply. This morning you will hear from 12 voices, 12 recovered compulsive overeaters, each describing in their own personal way how the individual steps have changed them, changed their lives. 12 voices weaving together 12 stories of transformation, creating a powerful message of hope and possibility. Let's begin this morning with step one. Janice P. from Minnesota, please. Good morning. Can you hear me all right, Leah? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice P., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And um, thank you all for being here this morning. Um, I needed a meeting. I always like to say that because it's always true. I love coming to Overeaters Anonymous meetings because in a meeting like this at A Vision for You, I get to hear exactly what I need to hear. And it's always step one. First and foremost, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And the thing that I love so much about this Vision for You meeting and, and the work that we do with each other here is that we study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, our basic text. Because it was in that basic te- text, along with the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous, that I learned the true nature of my disease. Because there was a very, very, very long time when I didn't know that I had a disease. That I didn't know that what I suffered from was something that I could not be cured of by my own hand, that I could not think my way out of this disease. Because it was a disease, and it was a twofold disease. It had an allergy of my body, and it had an obsession of my mind. And those were the things that I was going to learn, slowly but surely, and that would give me a way out, a spiritual recovery. I didn't even know that that's, that that's what was wrong with me for a very long time. 
So I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1990. I went to my very first OA meeting, and I think I even read about it in a column in the newspaper, an advice column, where someone had mentioned that there was this thing called Overeaters Anonymous. And I had heard of AA, and I actually had a drinking problem, but I also had this eating problem. And I thought there was no place to find help. But I will tell you some of my history of compulsive eating. I ate my way up to 254 pounds. And I never meant to get that fat. I never meant to get that fat. But it happened. But it happened. I came into OA in a place of such despair. I spent years in that place of despair, disappointed in myself over and over again, in such distress, discouraged, despondent. A lot of days just despondent about this place that I felt I had found myself in. And you'd think the depth of those feelings would be enough to motivate me, don't you think? If you're anything like me, Perhaps you've been in that place, too, where you thought, I'm never going to do this again. You would find yourself in that place like I did, and you would say, that's it. I'm done. I'm never going to do that again. But there I would be. There I would be. I thought I was smart enough to figure this thing out. I thought I was smart enough. I thought I had the intellect and the willpower and the self-determination and the resolve to do this thing, to do this thing, to stop this compulsive eating. But I didn't start there. You know, as a child, I grew up in a family, a loving family, with very young parents and two very normal-sized sisters, one older than me, one younger than me. But I always felt different. I always felt like there was really something wrong with me that wasn't wrong with them. I always felt like everyone was going to find out that I really didn't know what I was doing. And I felt that way from a young age. I was sitting there in this family thinking I was different, thinking I was not quite like my siblings. And I always felt like I was the invisible child. Even though, as I gained weight, of course, my presence was there. But I always felt like the invisible child. And I can remember my mother saying, oh, our Janice, she's such a good girl. We don't have to worry about her. But I also thought, you don't see me either. And food became a comfort. Food became a way that I felt the ease and comfort that I didn't seem to be finding find in other places in my life. The food was the answer. The food was the solution to that fearful place, that place full of self-doubt, that place where I compared myself to everybody else, that place where I felt uncertainty and anxiety. Food seemed to soothe that place. But what I didn't know It's why I couldn't control that food. You know, I would start eating and think I was only going to have a little 
But what I didn't know is I was triggering some sort of allergic reaction, some sort of allergy in my body that made me want to eat more and more and more. So when I got to the point where I began to want to stop as much eating as I was eating, I found that I couldn't. And you know, in the, in the doctor's opinion, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says this, XXIV. It says, we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. Because my body didn't seem to do the things that I wanted my body to do. You know, I couldn't think my way out of stopping when I wanted to stop. You know, I knew there was something wrong with me. And I knew that food fixed it. But I began to feel like I couldn't control and manage the food. You know, when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, when I, I had spent years, years trying to manage and control the food. Years. I knew there were foods that seemed to be triggers for me. Foods that I could never eat just one of. Foods that I would negotiate to have. Foods that I would sneak and hide. Foods that when I denied myself, I felt powerful. And when I ate them, I felt guilty and ashamed of myself. There were foods that I would overexercise in order to have. Foods that I would eat only in restaurants or outside of the house. Foods that I knew, knew I couldn't have at home because I would eat the whole thing. But I didn't know what to do without those foods. Those foods protected me. Those foods, I had to armor up against the world. Without those foods, I was unprotected and I was exposed and I was at risk somehow and I was anxious because I knew deep inside of me that people, if people really knew who I was, if I let myself be too vulnerable, I was going to get hurt because I had thought that that had been proven to me over and over again. So those foods armored me up. Those foods protected me. Those foods, when I ate them, I felt that sensation of, ah, ah, there it is, there it is. So how was I going to give that up? But the consequences, the side effects of gaining weight and gaining weight, you know, for a while I could overexercise enough, I could diet my way. I began that that trip to doctors. I began that journey into prescription amphetamines. I went to one doctor and I just prayed and I cried in his office and I said, you've got to help me. And he wanted to help me. So he gave me a prescription for amphetamines. And he said, we're going to monitor you. We're going to give you a food plan. And I tell you, I lost weight. I lost weight using those drugs. But I couldn't maintain that. And I remember a friend of mine, I was, I was taking those drugs, and she said, oh, honey, whatever you're on, cut it in half. Because I had the cleanest house in town. I was hardly sleeping, but I was losing weight. And wasn't that 
the result that I wanted. But when I stopped eating those trigger foods, those foods I was addicted to, the foods that that were all sugary, the foods that had white flour, the foods that I knew triggered my body, I went through withdrawal. I went through actual physical withdrawal. And I'd become more anxious and I'd become shaky and I'd get nauseous. And if I got through that withdrawal and got to the other side of that, I felt better. I felt everything better. I felt resentments and I felt fears and I felt that self-doubt and I felt that anxiety and I couldn't live like that. I didn't know how to feel that. I felt shame and nothing was enough. And I compared myself with everybody. And I looked at my shitty coworkers. And I looked at the people around me. And I found fault with everything until that bite was the best idea I'd had in a long time because I knew with that bite came some sort of ease and comfort. And I didn't know where else and how else to find that ease and comfort. And so that first bite, it was inevitable. It was inevitable that that first bite would be the best idea I'd had in a long time. And I'd have to pick up. So I could stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. And for a very, very long time, I didn't know why that was. And I thought there was something so deeply flawed in me and so wrong with me that I would never be able to find my way out of that. And so no matter how great the desire or the wish, the big book says, I was powerless. I was powerless. And I knew that I couldn't deny it forever. You know, it was the phenomenon of craving. I like to call it the phenomenon of crazy because that's what it was. It was this physical allergy coupled with this mental obsession. I remember going into a bakery And I would say to myself, I'm only going to have just one. I'm only going to have just one. And my mouth would say, six. Or they would say, we have a special on a dozen. And I would say, oh, then let me take a dozen. I'll take them home to my kids, even though I was single and didn't have any children. Or I'd think, I'll just have one and take the rest in to the office. But you know what would happen. That bag would be on the seat in front of, beside me. And after that one, I think, well, just one more. Well, just one more. Well, just one more. And pretty soon it would be gone. Pretty soon it would be gone. So I got to that point, that horrible, horrible point where food was the enemy. And I fought it. I, I began to battle the food every day. But I knew that it was also the answer. It was also the solution. And that is the most horrific place to get to. And perhaps it's somewhere you can relate to. And that's the place I had to get to in order to be at step one. To know that I was truly powerless. I couldn't live with it and I couldn't live without it. And what was I going to do? 
you know, I would take that first bite and it would take me on a ride and it was no guarantee and no clue where it might take me. Some days I might be able to control it. Some days I might get up in the morning and have only coffee and say, I am not going to eat compulsively today and I'm going to make up my little plan and I'm going to take my lunch along to work and I'm going to do it differently. But by the end of the day, I could not keep myself from picking up that first bite. And by the time I'd get home ordering a pizza, stopping for takeout, I just thought, what else can I do? And some days I'd cry myself to sleep at night. And I'd say, God, help me. God, help me. But I got to tell you, there's no way, no way for me for hope to actually come until I suffered that complete defeat. And with complete defeat came a way out. Came a way out. And it came through Overeaters Anonymous. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice P. Step two, do L from New York. Good morning. Good morning and uh, happy anniversary to A Vision for You. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And thank you for helping me to grow. Um, and so every time I'm given this opportunity, it's an opportunity for me to get closer to God and, and do His will. And I pray that um, as I, I give my experience, strength, and hope that He guides and directs my words and that I can help others in my message of recovery. And I'll start off with um, there's a solution. And, you know, um, came to believe in a power greater than myself. Um, and, and came to believe is, is past tense. It doesn't say, say come to believe. It says came, which indicates that there's a process. There's a process of going through the steps and going through this in a way where I'm going to get a power greater than myself. That's going to help me, as Janice stated, help me to overcome my compulsive overeating. Um, and I just want to start off with saying that, you know, if I don't follow the directions outlined in this book, precisely, exactly how this book has it to offer, my chances of recovery are very slim. Because it says in the first edition, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It seems hopeless, but it's not. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And that's really, those words were the most important words for me because I had to understand that if I wanted to recover, I had to follow the directions in this book precisely, exactly. There was no way of cutting around it. And I've been, my experience is I've been in program for 10 years. And out of those 10 years, I've been in OA since 2009. So I've been in two programs for 12 steps. And in those, in those uh, 10 years, Seven years out of those 10 years, I was sober, I was abstinent, but I was not recovered. And I stayed that way for a long time because I could not get step two. 
I got everything else. I knew how to put down the food. But I did not know how to get the solution because I was stuck. And I'm just going to take you uh, through that process today of what I went through um, so that you can understand a little bit of being stuck in program. Because um, we can do that. We can come into program and we could get stuck. And, um, you know, one of the first things I heard in program is, you know, uh, yes, you have a problem with food and you need a power greater than yourself to get you out of it. And you need um, a power greater than yourself to restore you back to sanity. Well, I thought I knew what that meant. You know, I thought, well, you know, um, I hear in the meetings, if you have a willingness to believe in a power greater than yourself, boom, that's the answer. You know, and if you get your own conception of God, then that's the answer. And if you combine those two, if I have a power greater than myself and it's not me, and um, I, I, I can get that. So if I get those three elements, then I, I have a higher power and, and I can do this. You know, I, I will magically, it will magically happen for me that I will recover. And sadly, I did not understand that there was a bigger problem than just doing those three things. So, um, you know, when I came into program, I heard something different. I heard that there was three chapters that I had to go through for step two, and that was there's a solution, more about alcoholism, and uh, we agnostics. And those three chapters show me something totally different than what I thought I was thinking. And the first thing is, when I came to There's a Solution, There's a Solution does not talk about God. It talks about what God is not. And that is not me. And that was a rude awakening for me because I thought, well, here it is. There's a solution. It's going to get right into it. And it did not. It broke, broke it down where it took me back to step one. It took me back to reminding me that I am not it. And then it, it, it reiterated that for the next two chapters before I got to talking about God. Why was that? Why did these two chapters talk about the self versus God? Because with any formula to solving an equation, you have to first know what the problem is, then you need to know what the solution is, and then you need to know how to implement that solution into the problem. And that's the part I did not get. I did not get the fact that I was the problem and that I created my own chaos and misery and depression and my, my compulsive eating because there is a greater aspect to my disease. And on page 23 of the big book, it talks about that these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. So I had a bigger problem than just the physical allergy. I had a mental obsession that leads me to the lies leads me to the excuses, to the justifications of going back to that food. And I didn't know how to solve that. I didn't know how to take care of that. But I knew that I had to first conceive that it was not me. 
It was not me that was going to take care of this problem. And so this, there's a solution goes over countless of examples of how I'm not the one. And, it, and then it gives me a brief synopsis of what I need. And I need a spiritual solution. I need a spiritual awakening. And that looks, what does that look like? On page 27, it says that there needs to be an emotional displacement and rearrangement of ideas, emotions, attitudes, which once, once were a guiding force to me. But they need to be set aside. They need to be cast aside. They need to be discarded. They need to be destroyed. They need to be smashed so that I can let God enter into my life. And, you know, so there are essentials that we need. And the essentials are willingness, openness, and honesty. But on page 13, it says something totally different. It says, you know, if I am to enter into a relationship with my creator, the elements of way of living which answer all my problems, not just my compulsive overeating problem, all my problems. It has to be a belief in a power greater than myself. That's the first element. You know, if I don't have that element, I can have the willingness, the honesty, <laughs> and the openness, but if I don't believe in the power grid in myself, I'm not going to get this. And it says, then I need willingness, honesty, and humility. I need to be humble, and that means I need to surrender. I need to give things up. And so I went through this process, and I got into more about alcoholism, and in more about alcoholism, it talks about the fact that I can't control anything. And I had to admit and concede that to my innermost self, that I cannot control my food. I cannot control uh, people, places, and things. I cannot control anything. And that I need to be able to surrender. And when these delusions of, of, of the fact that I can go back to the food and I can control the food has to be smashed. I have to do something about it. And, and some people will say in program, well, I can't do anything about it. I can't even put down the food. Well, that's not true. Um, the, the, the big book talks about in page 13 that it's academic. I don't introduce my binge foods into my food plan, and I arrest the physical allergy. What I cannot arrest is the mental obsession that tells me that I could go back to the food, that this time will be different, that this time I can, I can do something about it. And those ideas need to be smashed. So how do I do that? Well, the big book takes me through a process of doing that. And first, first thing that it does, it, it keeps telling me that I will try in every form of self-deception experimentation to try to prove myself like a non alcoholic, non-compulsive overeater, that I will do this over and over and over and over unless I can experience a psychic change, unless I can experience a phenomenal, uh, uh, a psychic change. And so it tells me on page 33, if we are planning to stop drinking, or in my case, eating my binge foods, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. So automatically it's telling me I need to know that I'm not the solution, that I am the problem, and that I will continue to be the problem as long as I have the perception and the thinking that I have. And so it goes on to give me examples, countless of examples of 
of people who have tried this method on their own and they have failed over and over, whether they were on, on uh, self-knowledge, whether they were uh, you know, scared because they, they, they're, they're, um, they were going to lose something. You know, they were going to lose their health, their, their, their families and whatnot, and they, they stopped. But you see, the thing is, I'm not going to want to stop unless I have desire to stop. And that has to be imperative in my heart, not in my head, but in my heart, that I need to, to be able to stop. And then it goes on to say that, that um, after it gives me all the examples, it says on page 44, that I have two alternatives. is either death or I need to, to switch to a, a spiritual basis. And there's no middle ground. There's no middle door. There's no magic pill, as I thought so many times. There's got to be a way out. You know, I can still compulsively overeat and still get this program. Well, it's saying no. There's no, there's no middle door. There's not that option. We don't have that option as a compulsive overeater. The only option that we have is that we have to realize that we lack power. And the power is not us. It has to be something greater than myself. And then it went on to say that I had to do some things before I could get this power. It's not just I have willingness, poof, the higher power is there. Oh, I get my own conception of God and poof, I have my own conception of God. And that power is going to help me. No, it didn't say that. It says, first, I have to do something. I have to lay aside my prejudice. I have a lot of things that are inside of me that hold me back from connecting to that power. And it's called resentment, and it's called fear, and it's called just a lot of other things that hold me back. And for me, it was, why did not God save this little child? You know, I went through horrors with my parents, and yet... I had that prejudice. So it didn't matter if I borrowed somebody else's conception of God. It didn't matter if I went to a religion and got God. It didn't matter if I did whatever. As long as I held on to those prejudices, I could not get God. I could not get God. And so I had to lay aside the prejudice. And that's what this, this big book shows me, is that just like Bill did on pages 10 and 11, he talked about his prejudices. He talked about the things that were bothering him and his heart and why he could not get close to God. And so I had to do that with my sponsor. And when it came to that, I said, well, how do I get God? And she said, now at this time, when you lay aside your prejudice and you understand why it is that you can't get close to God, you had a God that was from your parents, which were very abusive. And those, that, that was your first God, your parents. You know? And I... I started to understand that it had nothing to do with the God that I was trying to worship. It had to do with the God of my parents. It had to do with the God of my religion, which imposed on me many restrictions. I had to understand that God, that any time I borrowed somebody else's conception of God, I was blaming other people for the failures of God. And so here it says, at this point, I had to have a willingness to believe in a power greater than myself that could get me the results that I needed. And that's what my God became, the God of results, the God of results. I didn't have to comprehend or understand God. I just had to have a willingness at this point to, 
come with my own conception of God. And my conception became the God of results. And then eventually that developed into something different, where it became more and more with my improved conscious contact of God. But at this point, I'm just making a beginning. I'm entering into a relationship with God. And actually, it's not that I'm entering. God is entering into a relationship with me. See, I have barricaded that door. I have barricaded the doors to God. And all the willingness I have to do is open the door to let God in. Open the door to let God in and enter into my life. Because he's there. He's behind the door. I'm just barricading the door. So I had to open the door and let God in. And then it talked about the fact that I had to concede um, this proposition that either we, it says on page 53, when we become alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We have fearlessly seized to face the proposition that God either is everything or he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our course to be? And that was the proposition that I had to come to. And I, I knew that my way did not work. My way never worked. And so I had to, um, I had to believe that a, a power greater than myself could come and restore me back to sanity. And that's what happened. I gave myself to God of my own understanding through this process, through the pages outlined here, through the directions of this. And, and today I am a free person, and I thank God for everything that he's done in my life. With that, I pass. Thank you, Do. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Louisa M., from New York. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Good morning and congratulations. It's a wonderful day. And I've been here since day one. It's awesome. Um, okay, so my experience with step three, and that is accepting God into my life and turning my will over to him. And I can just tell you from my experience um, what happened to me. It was 27, it was 27 years ago that I crawled into a church. Louisa, star one to unmute. Star one to unmute, Louisa. We don't hear you. Let's give her another moment to see if we can work through some technical difficulties here.
Thank you, everybody, for your patience. <laughs> Use this as a moment to press into the steps and hope Louisa can return back on the line. Okay, she is calling back in, so stay tuned, please. We're going to hear all about step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Thank you for your patience, everyone. Leah, can you hear me? Yes. Please start again, sorry. Louisa. That's quite all right. Go for it. I'm so sorry. Okay. So turning my will and my life over to the care of God and my experiences 20 years ago, 20-some-odd years ago, I crawled into a church, desperate, dying, having taken too many diet pills, thought I had to call an ambulance, having to get my daughter to school. And I just remember that I had no idea what a 12-step program was. And that's why when they say you can take this step between you and God, this is step three. It's only a decision. It was just a decision. And I made that decision that day to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And I prayed. I prayed the third step prayer in my own words. And I said, God, please help me. I'm done. I'm done. I will die out there. I will die out here if you... Do not put your hands on my life and relieve me of the bondage of self, yes. I said, please, all I want to do is be a good wife and a good mother. Please take this from me. And I said, I would give you all the glory. I will give you all the glory if you take this from me because I know it won't come from me. There was nowhere else for me to go. And at that point, I walked out of that church and I knew something changed. It wasn't immediate, but my life went into a tailspin. People, places, things, it's like God just came down and scooped me up. I learned what a 12-step program was because somebody was introduced to me that was in a 12-step program. They brought me in, and it's just like God has his hands in my life after I took this third step. So what I want to say about this step is, it doesn't have to be formal, and yes, in the big book, they say you can take it with another person, but you can also take it just between you and whoever your higher power is, which is how I was able to do it. I've done formal third steps. I've done ceremonies like the Yaya Sisters with candles and beautiful things. I've answered 90-day questions, 
I've done all that afterwards. But the basis of my third step was between me and my higher power. The desperation of a woman who was going to die if I didn't take this step, if I did not turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And unknowingly, I took this step just between me and my maker. And from that moment on, my life changed. Was it perfect? No. Did I, did I know everything I needed to know about my disease? No. But he brought everything to me that I needed in his time and through the big book and through the people in my life once I did this step, once I turned my life over to God and let him take over. I let him take the wheel. I sat in the passenger seat. And he took me for the ride of my life. And I am so grateful to all of you on this line. And I'm sorry that I disrupted the meeting by getting cut off. Thank you so much. Thank you, Louisa. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Monica T., currently in Vermont. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. This is Monica T. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, presently in rainy Vermont. Congratulations here. Three years of vision for you, and I'm so pleased about that. And I've been here from the beginning of that, these three years. Yeehaw. Okay, step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So we've heard about steps one, a conclusion, step two, a conclusion, and step three, I've made a decision. And now I'm at that scary step four, searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And this is the first step of cleaning my house. All right, so what brought me here? I came into OA uh, 10 years ago in my early 50s. I had been dieting. Uh, my first official diet was at age 13 with diet pills from my medical doctor. So we had a good 40 years under our belt of trying to do this ourselves. And what happened to me? Well, I was over 200 pounds and um, nothing was working anymore. And I was scared to death. I was desperate. I didn't know what to do, where to turn. And um, I had heard about OA before and went on the line and looked up where a meeting was. And it always amazes me that there was a meeting in the hospital where I worked at. It had been there for five years and I didn't know anything about it. Anyway, I went to that first meeting. It was a small little meeting, four or five people. But you know what? God touched me that night. And I walked out of that meeting and I put down the binge foods and I haven't looked and I've been a process since then. Um, and thank you, God. Thank you, God, because it wasn't me. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. So was that, uh, uh, that was just the beginning. Because it took me another five years before I did, was brought to the big book and working through the 12 steps. And that's what's really made a difference in my life is working these steps, the way they're laid out in the big book, starting with one and working all the way through. Um, so here I am at step four. And it sounds pretty scary, pretty scary. But I was told, you know what? And it says it on page 64 that we're doing this. It's an effort to discover the truth. 
It's a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. Step four is not about judging. You know, I did not know what I did not know, and I could not see what I could not see. I was very blind. I didn't know all this. And that's what the steps do for us. God's going to give you, God gave me, as a result of working these steps, a new set of lenses so that I can see things I couldn't see before. So now I know I have a choice. There is something different I can do. So what's profound for me about step four? What what changed? What was really changing, life-changing for me here in step four? Well, first of all, step four says resentment is the number one offender. What do you mean resentment's the number one offender? I'm not a resentful person. I don't hold on to resentments. You know, I blow up and it's gone, da-da-da-da-da. Well, that wasn't what I found out when I did step four, when I did the work, that I was full of resentments. And resentment also came as words of anger. Anger. I was angry. I was disturbed. I was um, irritated. I was um, annoyed. These are all little things. You know, all these little irritations, annoyances built into resentments. And what was my default mechanism when I felt uneasy? It was to eat. And so on page 66... The thing about step four that I'm going to zone in on because we don't have much time here is what I call the turnaround, what was explained to me as a turnaround. On page 66, the third paragraph, it says, we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. So how am I going to change this? In the next paragraph, they're telling us, this is our course. We realize that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. So what's the number one thing here I'm going to be getting out of this step four, this turnaround, this work? Is that a realization? A realization that others are sick too, just like I am a very sick person. And then on the top of 67, what's the next thing I'm going to learn from step four here? I'm going to learn to pray. I'm going to learn to ask God to help show me how to be tolerant, how to have pity and patience with other people. That You know what, Monica? They're a sick person too, just like you are. You want people to treat you with love and tolerance, then why not try it with somebody else, you know? So I'm learning another thing here. I'm learning a little compassion. I didn't have much of that before. And then we're told, um, so we're turning back to the list. So what's this list? This is a list that I originally wrote of all the people, principles, and institutions that, um, I, that bothered me, that I was resentful at. And I'm going to zone into this turnaround. How did I do this turnaround? Well, the instructions for it are on page 67. So the first thing I did was I realized, you know, this person was a sick person. And I was told to ask myself, have I ever done this behavior they've done? And it was like, oh, my God, 99% of the time I was resentful at these people and I did the same thing. Now, that was an eye-opener right there, a little light bulb moment. And then I had to look at 
how had I been selfish? What did I want? What was my selfish attitude here? You know, it's what I wanted. I wanted you to do what I wanted you to do. If you didn't do it, I got ticked off at you. Wow, I didn't know I was doing that type of stuff. Dishonesty. How was I dishonest? Now, I had to write these all out. I had to write this out. The book tells me to put it pen to paper, black and white. How was I being dishonest? What was that? That was my faulty thinking. What was I pretending? What did I believe? What did I tell myself? And then I had to ask, well, what is the truth here? You know, and the truth was most of the time I didn't know. I thought I knew everything, but I really didn't know. Who knows what you were experiencing before I had that little tip with you, you know? And then self-seeking. What were my reactions to this resentment, to this annoyance? Wow. I was very critical. I was very judgmental. I might have gossiped about you. There was a lot of things I did here. I might have, you know, I might have hollered at you. But so these were my self-seeking behaviors. And then we answer, how were we frightened? What was I frightened of here? Well, like a lot of you, I also grew up in a home that was an abusive home. There was no um, outwardly show, showing of any love. Uh, I, I was, it was a fearful place. Uh, I can remember just sitting there being very fearful and have chills going up and down my spine. You never know what to expect. And the only thing that was comforting was food. I was given food, and that I found comfort in that very, very quickly as a very early age. And um, so a lot of my fears go back to my childhood, you know, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't loved, that, you know, what was wrong with me? And so here, in this, when you answer the frightened, you write down what were you afraid of. And this is going to be where you're going to get your fears for when you're doing the fear inventory, which is part of the four-step inventory. And then the last thing um, I was to ask, where were we to blame? Who did I harm here with this negative attitude, negative energy that I had going on towards this other person? You know, I harmed myself with all this negative stuff. I harmed them with however I reacted and I harmed others who had to listen to me rant and rave. So this is the turnaround part. And this is what today I use as my 10th step. You know, I have to turn it around and be able to look at these scenarios from a different point of view. Or nothing's going to change. And that's what God has done for me here. Has given me a new set of lenses. You know, they're sick too, Monica. Love and tolerance is your code. Pray for them, Monica. And that will get me out of that place so I can continue on, so I don't have to turn to food. And then the next big part of the inventory is the fear inventory. You know, fear, uh, was false evidence appearing real. And what's the other thing that we have here in the fear? We have another prayer. Oh, I forgot. Um, yeah, I already mentioned the, the prayer for... Um, doing the, before I do each turnaround, you know, the angry man prayer or the, set of, or the um, sick man prayer on the top of 67. So now with the fear area, I'm being given more instructions to pray. Pray. Ask God to remove my fear and direct my attention to what he would have me be. 
false evidence appearing real. Is this fear based on reality, Monica? And a lot of them were not. Well, if I trust and rely on God, what would be different here? You know, if I trust on an infinite God, unlimited, never-ending, rather than my finite self. You know, I didn't work very well. How's that working for you, Monica? You know what? It didn't. It didn't. But I have a direct line to God. I just love this. A direct line to God. He's, he's right there all the time. There, I don't have to go through anybody to talk to them. He's right, right there. You know, I can't even get through to my own personal doctor. I have to go through somebody else. But I have a direct line to the creator of the universe. So recovery is a learning process, you know. So I'm practicing here already in step four. I'm practicing compassion. I'm practicing prayers. I'm practicing not judging myself. And so this new, these practicing is a process. It's a new way of thinking. I'm getting some new ways of thinking already here in step four, which leads to different behavior. You know, and that's our goal for working through these steps is that spiritual awakening. And so for me, I had doing this started a spiritual awakening for me. Light bulb moments. Things started changing. You know, I don't want to gossip anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And then the last thing I'm going to end with is the step four promises on page, on the bottom, page 70. We begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality, our resentments. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies. And this is what I was just saying. I'm already learning. I'm already changing. And with that, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeehaw, and I pass. Thank you, Monica T. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Marsha B. from Missouri. Good morning, everyone. Happy anniversary of Vision for You. Thank you. Thank you, Alea, for asking me to speak. Um, My name is Marcia B. I'm a compulsive overeater, gratefully recovered today, one day at a time. Um, I've been in OA since March of 1993. I've been abstinent since December 6, 2013. Thank you, God. Um, Yeah, that's a lot of time, and there's a lot of humanness in between. Um, But uh, just to give you a little background, uh, I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I've been a chubby baby, chubby child, chubby teenager, obese adult, morbidly obese adult. And um, But thanks to OA, um, I have been working the steps, working with a sponsor for the last several years and maintaining a 130-pound weight loss. And um, this, this program works, that's all I can say. My higher power is awful good to me. Um, so step five. Um, I had no problem in step five of admitting to God and to myself the exact nature of my wrongs. Um, but one of my biggest struggles and one of my biggest character defects is I have a lot of pride. Admitting it to another human being was a whole different ballgame. And um, but it was it was really it was actually working with my sponsor and listening to the Vision for You recordings when I heard somebody say, I can't omit anything. Because believe it or not, while I was working on my 
fifth step with my sponsor um, a few years ago, I was contemplating whether I really wanted to share some things with her that I really wanted to keep hidden. Um, but there, and it says so right in the big book on page 72 in the chapter into action, second paragraph. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. That was where I found myself. I found myself thinking, oh my gosh, if I tell this person everything, all these sordid little details that, that of my life, then then what's going to become of me? What's she going to think of me? I I. I can barely admit these things to myself, let alone to another human being, but that's the whole point of this. The whole point of this is being honest, getting down and, and we, you know, doing this inventory. Okay, I wrote it down. Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. I have to actually show it. I have to give it to somebody so that I'm actually taking it out of myself. Um, and it says many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be much more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. And that's what my sponsor said to me. If I hang on to this stuff that I will not let go, then it's like I will, it's inevitable that I will not let go of the weight. I will not let go of the compulsive eating behaviors. I will hang on to them for the rest of my life if I hang on to this this inventory that needs to be removed and and switched in for something my higher power wants me to be. So with that, um, I have to say that step five is a very profound step for me because of one very important value, and that is trust. Trusting to give somebody everything about me, even the worst parts of me, and, and letting God take care of the rest. Um, and step five uh, talks about coming to senses. He has revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. Well, there are certain episodes that I remember with great clarity in my compulsive eating days. And um, these are things that I, uh, I swore. Marcia, star one to unmute. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Okay, sorry. I got this big message from the conference table. Okay, sorry. Um, so, anyways, uh, these are some things that I, I said that I was going to walk away, and I was never going to ever talk about it ever again to anybody. They were wrong. I'm never going to do it again. I don't intend to do it again. I, uh, so, it, it was just, so, so, to share those kinds of things with somebody was a real leap for me. Um, so this time, uh, I, I, I had taken, uh, in my history, in my, my OA, earlier my OA days, I did not really follow the big book a lot. I was using a lot of other literature, and, and it was good, and it was nice, and it was profound in, in many ways, but it didn't have the structure, it didn't have the clear, plain language, the, 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 to me, the inspired words that, that, that I needed to hear and I didn't have the sponsors that had that, that big book behind them either. And so I had taken step five a couple of times with, uh, with some sponsors, and, um, and I omitted these, these more shameful things. And, and I thought I had done enough. 
my sponsor didn't need to know all that stuff. They're going to hate me if they tell. So I went along with having written it down and shared only part of myself. And uh, and and as the big book says, I hung on to some of the uh, worst items in stock. And it would surprise anybody that I ate again. And uh, in uh, April of 2005, I, I ate a cookie. And for the next four years, I did nothing but eat. And all that shame and resentment and fears and everything just built back up inside of me, and I became the same person I was, probably worse, before uh, I found OA. Um, but for whatever reason, I guess God felt that I was worthy. And, and I, I find that amazing. I find that powerful. I find that wonderful that, that for whatever reason, God brought me back to OA. And God helped me to put down the binge foods that I was eating. And within the next 15 months, um, I, I found my sponsor. And with, with my sponsor, who is a big book suffer, we started working the big book. We started working the steps the big book way. And when it came to doing my, my fourth step and my fifth step, uh, again, those things feared up or flared up in me. Um, but uh, she was exactly who I needed to work this fourth step and fifth step. And uh, if, I, if I hadn't, I knew I, if I don't do this right, if I don't, I have to do it right this time. I, I went into OA. I learned a lot about myself. I relapsed badly for nearly four years. I gained back nearly everything that I, all the weight that I had lost. And, uh, but now I was ready. I was finally powerless. I finally realized what, I was, what it was to be powerless. I finally realized what it was to, to, to need to have a higher power in my life because be, being who I am, a prideful person who's always been self-reliant, always uh, independent, I had to, to stop being so self-reliant. I had to stop looking to myself for the solutions because I was the problem. So um, working through those first four steps, writing all that down, now it came down to all of it. I had to recover. I wanted to recover this time. I wrote down everything, everything. And I didn't want to omit anything to her. I was ready for recovery. I was ready to lay it out on the line and share all those nasty, horrible, shameful aspects of myself, all the resentments all the harms I've done others, the, the sex conduct, the fears, everything. She was going to get all of it. And over the next three, over three sessions of a couple of hours, I mean, I gave her everything. I gave her every, I went through nearly a box of tissues, revealing my, my true self to this person. Uh, I just told her everything, even the worst parts, the stuff that I couldn't even speak because I had to get it out, but I still had, I, but I couldn't speak about it because I was, crying so hard. And at the end of it, she said something very profound to me. She said, Marcia, I love you. That was amazing. That was, that was wonderful. I felt clean. I felt cleansed. I felt, I felt closer to my higher power. I felt that I had put my trust in the right person. I was guided to the right person. And this person helped me through all of that and through the, the, the next steps. And when I do, and I do four steps on a daily basis because I have to do my step 10. And, and, uh, and I do run into these issues, into issues of resentment and issues of fear and issues of, of um, 
you know, not so much sex conduct these days because that's not a problem at all. And, um, but I have to go through these because even though I've gone through my fourth step and my fifth step, you know, there's still people out there and there's still family out there. There's still work out there and there's still life out there that, that happens to me on a daily basis. And, and, and how I react to it now is profoundly different because now when things crop up and I talk with my sponsor about them, I realize I look at it through a whole, as Monica said, through a whole different lens. What was my part in this? And, and I can get peace about it. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about with this, the fifth step is um, the promises. Uh, well, well, actually, finding the right person to talk with. Sometimes there, there is somebody that, in the early days of the big book, there were real sponsors, per se, but you know, there were other uh, AAs that they Marsha, star one to unmute. In their, in their, who's maybe a preacher or a rabbi or, 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 you know, some, some spiritual person that they prefer. Some people have their sponsor. My sponsor got everything because it was very, very, very important that my sponsor or that person I shared this with understood the 12 steps understood what the next steps were to be, had been through the next steps, and is a recovered person. So I needed to have that person in my life who had gone before me and had experienced this and was able to share with me through uh, a real life experience what what the next steps were. Um, so on page 75, and this is what I felt. Honestly, this is what I felt. Once having, this is a step five promises. Once having taken the step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. That the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. And that was almost immediate. It was almost immediate. Um, I, I really felt like I had been given a, such a gift that I couldn't explain. I couldn't give to myself. Some, something, some higher power had, had given to me what I had been longing for my whole life, and that was to be free of, of all this anger and resentment, everything that I was filling with food, everything that I was stuffing down with food, um, I had exposed to the world. Um, then uh, what what my sponsor really wanted me to do next was to do what the next paragraph is, returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. Here's the step five prayer. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. And then taking down this book from our, from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work so solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? I can tell you from experience that having done a half-ass this step in the past, I tried to build something. I tried to build mortar without sand, and that led me down a path of relapse. 
and it was a miserable path, but it was a path that I truly believe I needed to be on because I didn't. I needed to learn to be powerless again. I needed to be learn to learn to be humble. I needed to be honest, and I needed to go through a lot of pain to get there. And when I was finally ready to come back in January 2009, I was there. I was ready. I was ready to take these steps. I was ready to recover. And thank you, God. Hallelujah. Just what Monica said. Yeehaw. This program really works. The steps are amazing. This big book is my lifeline. I love reading it. I get so much out of it. I share weekly at my, my home group on the big book. Um, I, I cannot imagine my life today if I didn't have OA, if I didn't have the, this big book, and if I didn't have my sponsor, and if I didn't have my higher power, and didn't have people like you that I could share my life with. So I thank you very much for your time, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marsha B. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Scott K., New York. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me okay, Leah? Yes. Hey, it's funny. Like, literally, not less than 30 seconds ago, I was disconnected. And then I just called back, and then she just finished her talk. I'm like, oh, my God. This is perfect. Anyway, um, whatever. In any case, um, yeah, step six. First of all, thank you for the five speakers before us. Um, you guys are always amazing. All of us are amazing because we're recovered today. My name is Scotty. I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from New York City. And step six, you know, Leah asked me a couple of weeks ago, Scott, do you want to talk for our anniversary? Uh, this and that. I'm like, she's like, well, tell me what steps are meaningful. I said, I don't know, step two, step six, step 11. She goes, oh, step six, you got it. I'm like, Oh, that means like nobody else wanted it. She just immediately gave it to me. I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's exactly one paragraph in the big book about step six. Um, you know, I laugh about that, but you know, the last speaker talked about step five. I look at the bottom of 75 after those fifth step promises as the beginning of step six, you know, the whole mortar without sand thing. And, you know, I look at my life, um, I, you know, again, just I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for 24 years. June 6th, just a month and a half ago, was 24 years in OA. I'm abstinent just over 12 years, uh, 12 years in March. So it was like 12 years, four months and what, whatever, maintaining about a 280-pound weight release. I don't call it a weight loss because, you know, when we lose things, we typically want to find them. And I certainly don't want to find any of that weight again. And... Um, you know, I'm just incredibly grateful to my higher power and to this fellowship and, of course, this big book. Um, you know, I love how Bill, again, Bill took a creative writing course. He was told never to write the same word twice in the same sentence if he can help it. So he calls them the first five proposals. You know, and I'm a salesman. I'm a professional salesman. I make my living and I do pretty well doing uh, proposals. And I know what a proposal is. You know, it's really, it's really me pushing my will onto you. This is what I'm proposing to you. You know, husband and wife, uh, husband proposes to the wife. Uh, you know, these proposals, they're suggestions. You know, they call them suggestions, proposals, this and that. You know, it's a suggestion like, like uh, when you jump out of an airplane and your parachute says, oh, we suggest you pull this ripcord when you jump. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's how much is a suggestion because, 
you know, hanging around our fellowship. And again, I'm in New York City. I, I have the benefit of 100 plus meetings to go to a week just in Manhattan. You know, I moved. I moved from the Bronx. Everybody knows me, Scotty from the Bronx. I'm in Queens. I'm living in a different situation. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And I have hundreds of meetings around me between Long Island, if anybody knows the New York City area, between Long Island and Manhattan and Queens, Brooklyn, Bronx, et cetera, there's hundreds of meetings. And most of those meetings are basically a, a 12 step, uh, not even 12 steps. If they didn't read the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, I would just think I'm in some sort of group therapy. And you know, I, I was taught early, early on that I need to do these steps in order to get better. Otherwise, it's going to be the same stuff every single day. Um, you know, the bottom of page 75 talks about the arch, which we will walk a free man at last. It mentions the cement on page 17. Then it mentions the, the you know, that's the foundation. It mentions the cornerstone in we agnostic. It mentions the keystone in, in how it works. Now it's talking about building that archway. That archway is so important because we're going to walk through it a free person. When I walked into program, I was sick. I didn't realize I have all these character defects that are blocking me from God. I had no idea what a God was. I had no idea what anything was. All I knew is that I have this 12,000 foot mountain that I need to climb and I need to hire somebody who's going to get me up this mountain. And I did. And I, and thank God, um, higher power connected me with the right people to get me over this mountain. And the biggest part of that was step six. Now I'm not a fan. And again, people might, you know, give me a tough time for saying this. You know, if you've ever heard me talk before, you you know that I'm not afraid of what people are going to think of me. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of the AA 12 and 12, you know, especially the OA 12 and 12. I, I just throw that out the window. Forget them, you know, but the AA 12 and 12, not a fan. I know, you know, Bill and Bob, they were talking about it. Bob said, we shouldn't put it out. There's no reason for it. And you know that the book came out a, a year after Bob's death. So, you know, Bill was, if, you know, again, I'm, people who know me know that I'm a historian. I know a lot about our fellowship and about the AA fellowship and about everything. And and if you think I know a lot, you should meet my sponsor. She knows a lot. And she's the one who told me that, you know, Bill was studying Catholicism. And he was really getting close with the Catholic Church back in the 50s, in the early, late 40s, early 50s. When, if you read the AA 12 and 12, it's full of Catholic writing and this and that. And, and you know, it is what it is. So I know that it was sort of jaded and it was sort of looked at as like, okay, great. You know, it's a bunch of grapevine articles that are written about the steps and, and some, some, some pamphlets and some articles about the steps. Uh, I still look at the big book. The only thing, believe it or not, besides page 99 and the 11 step prayer, I look at the very first page of step six that says, this is a step that separates the men from the boys. So yeah, Step six is really, really important because, you know, I, I, I had to learn in step one that I have a disease. I had to learn in step two that I have a solution and what that solution might be. Step three, I made a decision to move towards that solution and the action of step three, just like in how it works, it's a perfectly placed chapter because chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter five, how it works starts with step three and then moves directly into step four. And we've all heard about this already for the last hour and 15 minutes. So, you know, I, I learned about doing 
you know, becoming, making a decision to turn my will in my life, my thoughts and my actions to the care of this higher power. And, and then I did an inventory. It immediately told me that the action of step three is step four. I had to do this inventory. I did the inventory. And not only did I learn some, some unsavory things about myself, because when I write, I learned that when I'm thinking about a problem, I'm in the problem. When I'm writing about a problem, I'm in the solution. So I started writing and I wrote my step four, my resentments, my fears, my sexual harms, my, my harms to others, etc. And I shared it with another person. Now, again, we look at step five. I'm not going to stay on this, but step five says we've made it to God, to ourselves and to another human being. God is first. So in, in reality, I'm really giving my step five, I'm giving my inventory to God and, of course, admitting it to myself while saying it out loud and giving it to another person as a witness. Same way we do step 11 every night. I write my step 11 to God and my sponsor is just a witness. Same thing with my sponsees. So, you know, the bottom line is, is looking at the top of page 76, we are now ready to let God remove from us the things we have found we admitted are objectionable. So again, what is a character defect? In step five, it says wrongs. In step six, it says defects. In step seven, it says shortcomings. It's the same stuff. So if I look at, at you know, a defect as the same, something that when when put into practice, blocks me from my higher power, I can ask God to please, please, dear sweet God, remove these from me because now I have a relationship. I, I, I wrote my inventory. I, I, I looked at some, some unsavory things about myself. I shared it. I shared my inventory with another person. Actually, I shared it with a woman. And, you know, I've always had female, for the most part, I've always had female sponsors, older female sponsors because cause it, it just has worked for me. And I shared this stuff with another person. And guess what? A lightning bolt didn't come down and kill me. So now what my next task in step six is to please, dear sweet God, take these things from me. You know, please, God, I'm ready to have these removed. And I look at it as sort of like a lightning bolt hitting me. And, you know, it's sort of like the construction worker coming home from work, filthy as hell, comes home from work. His wife looks at him and she just points, don't touch me, don't look at me, get into that shower right now. He goes into the shower and the blast of water hits him. That first initial blast of water hits him. And guess what? 80% of the dirt on his body falls right off. So then he needs to take us a, a soap and a sponge or, or, you know, washcloth or whatever, loofah, whatever you guys want to do, and, and scrub. So I look at my step six as something that I put together that, that I said, God, please take these away from me. So I was told to write my assets and defects because, you know, again, I only have a couple of minutes, but looking at, at the history of our fellowship, you know, looking at the history of AA, there was no step six. There was, there were six steps total and, and the inventory that Bill and Bob and, and the first hundred did were basically writing us a, a liability and an asset list, a defects and an asset list. So I did that. And I did that for my step six. I did my inventory that I had in the big book on step four. I, I shared that inventory in step five and I wrote the assets and defects that that same thing that Bill and Bob did instead of doing it for step four, which was the inventory back in the day, I did it for my step six and I wrote a whole list. And we know that with step 10, it's all about selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. They break down all the, in all the 
possible character defects in the world and break it into selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. However, I still needed at this point in my recovery with, when doing step six to just write them all out, everything blocking me from God. And then I just simply drew a line through them and I said, God, please, dear, sweet God, for today, remove my, my this, remove my that. And, and I went through each one. And, and then, of course, in step seven, which our next speaker will talk about, I ask God to remove them. So step six has been an amazing process. And anybody who thinks step six is like this little thing in the big book because it has like a paragraph and a half, you know, I, I really think you need to look at this stuff or call me. You know, I'm Scotty. I'm from New York, 718-440-4776. Again, 718-440-4776. I live breathe, eat, sleep, drink this stuff all day long. I can't wait to talk to all of you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Scotty. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Kim G. from New Jersey. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So what does that mean? You know, I fully concede today that I am a compulsive overeater. But because of these 12 steps and a higher power, today I want to flatly declare I do not suffer from compulsive overeating. You know, we've heard this beautiful description about this twofold illness. So what does it mean to be recovered? You know, the allergy of the body, the doctor's opinion tells us the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So if I am recovered, if I am, have the ability to get through these steps, I must be 100% abstinent. I am 100% clean of all my allergic foods and my behaviors, and that is necessary before I embark on this program. But the miracle and the reason I'm recovered today is because I've worked these 12 steps and the mental obsession has been removed. Let me tell you that I do not have to avoid people, places, and things. I do not have to worry about being hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I don't have to think the drink through. I don't have to keep it green. What I do today is I incorporate these steps into a daily practice and a higher power removes my obsession to eat, and then that means that abstinence is effortless. These 12 steps are a lot of effort, but my abstinence is effortless today. And I just want to qualify that, you know, this disease has manifested a lot on my, in my body. You know, I, I, at this age of 23, was a size 24, couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without being short of breath, was being threatened to be put on high blood pressure medication. I then decided the solution was bulimia, and I would binge and purge and exercise to the point that I couldn't walk all weekend because I'd be running for 15 miles on a Saturday morning and my hip would hurt. I've also gotten down to a size two where I was losing my hair and losing my menstrual cycle. So let me tell you, this disease is not about food and weight. This disease is the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, and we're hearing a beautiful example right now of how we remove that obsession of the mind. And one of the reasons I asked Leah to talk about step seven, and one of the reasons it's been so powerful for me, is because of my old ideas of what it was. You know, I do talk beautifully about the idea in step two. We have to get rid of our old ideas. So I'm going to talk about step seven in the sense of what my old ideas were about step seven that didn't allow me to have the benefit of what step seven is supposed to be. So if we read on page 76, that second paragraph, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad, good and bad. 
you know, I thought step seven was simply making the list of my defects and then I would have a cheat sheet that would tell me what the opposite was and then my job, my job was to practice the opposite. I was told in the doctor's opinion, I cannot differentiate the true from the false. My alcoholic life is the only normal one. I was taught in step two and three that my um, marshalling my will has failed me utterly, but yet I thought step seven was me working on my defects. You know, we're told on page 44 at the bottom that the mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, we would have recovered long. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us. No matter how much we tried, we could wish to be moral, we could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might. But the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed me utterly. Yet that's what I was doing with step seven. I was thinking I could will myself to be honest. I could will myself to be humble. I could will myself to have courage. All those principles that are associated with the steps. If I could have done that, I would have done that a long time ago. And the other thing is I would complicate it. I would have all these fancy words about my defects. I have to address my abandonment issues. I have to address my boundary issues. I have to address my, my people-pleasing, my um, passive aggressiveness. In the big book, we learn in step four, we have basically four defects. We have selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear. And if I take all those fancy words and I drill down on them, that's all they are. You know, people-pleasing. On page 60 in step three, we are told, um, am I not even a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? So my people-pleasing was simply my self-seeking behavior, and I don't have the ability to change that on my own. You know, this is only two paragraphs. And I, one of them, again, my old ideas, 12 steps, so they must have equal importance, and I must spend equal amount of time on them. 12 steps, 12 months in a year, I'm going to work a month on step seven. But if we look at the big book, if you look at the way that it's laid out here, the way that it's laid out is in step five, we sit down for a long talk. We take an hour to reflect to make sure that those steps are firmly in place. And then we do six and seven right then. And that night we're instructed to make a list. So according to the big book, I can do five, six, seven, and eight all in one day. And why is that? Why is it only two paragraphs? The way, what I feel the reason it's only two paragraphs is because I don't do anything. I'm asking God to remove it, and I'm stopping what's good and bad. Because let me tell you, the reason I can do step seven is because I've done steps one through six. If you had asked me prior to embarking on that inventory process, Ken, what are some of your good qualities? I would have told you, well, I'm very independent, I'm self-sufficient, and I'm going to pull your a self-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of gal. What I find in step five is those are my biggest liabilities. Those are my biggest problems. So if I, this sick alcoholic mind, get to choose to tell God what he needs to remove and what are my assets, I'm screwed. So I'm going to give God everything. Let him sort it out. Let him remove it. Try to align myself with his will, and then I will naturally start to do these assets. I don't need to force anything. And the reason this is so essential, yes, I do it in one, you know, one day, all these things. But as Scotty was saying, this is the core of my step 10. In step 10, we're asked to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. I recently heard, you notice it says watch, not work on. 
And that's what I would try to do. I try to work on my defects. Once again, using self-will, using the sick mind that got me crawling into this room of Overeaters Anonymous to try to fix myself. All step 10 is saying, which is where most of my step 10 work is six and seven, is I'm watching out for these defects. And when I recognize these defects, I immediately turn them over to my higher power because I understand that I cannot change that. So let's look at that next line in that, in that paragraph, I mean, in that, in that prayer. It says, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. That's what I want. I need those blocks removed. And I don't understand what's blocking me. I, I, you know, I, I just know that, that I can't get access to this power. I can't get access to the people around me. I'm feeling isolated. So I'm asking God to remove the blocks. Now, what are the consequences if I don't do this work? What are the consequences if I allow these defects to come back because I'm not actively working step seven, I mean step 10? When I go back to page 73, here's the consequences if I don't do that. On the first paragraph, more than most people, the alcoholic lives a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outside world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. And the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on sprees. Now, I'm asking at this point, I'm asking in step 10, but I think of these as thinking sprees, behavior sprees. When I'm going out, and I'm acting out on these insane thoughts. Coming to my senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have deserved him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. So my consequences, if I don't incorporate step seven, or if I try to manage step seven on my own by trying to work on these defects myself, is I'm going to drink again. If I don't take in step 10 seriously watching out for those things that I learned in six and seven, I am going to drink again. And one example for me um, is, you know, I have to tell you, my parents have told me they haven't won an argument with me since I was five. I express myself very beautifully. But I have to tell you, it is not only my greatest asset, it is my most dangerous weapon. And if I don't turn that over on a daily basis, Every morning when I share on this meeting or in any meeting, I ask my voice, your words, because I know that my voice can be used as a deadly weapon. So let's look at that last line. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Why is that going to take strength? Because I, I don't know how to do this. This is a very uncomfortable way to live. I'm used to being, falling back on these defects to feel safe. So I'm going to need God in there to help me because I'm going to be uncomfortable and I am inexperienced in this way of life, which is why I can go through these steps. And if I don't live in 10, 11, and 12, those defects will come back and the consequences is I will eat and I will die. So what are my jobs now? What does is, what is this step seven allow me to do? On page 77, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. I can only do that if I remain unblocked from these defects. On page 102, it says, our job now is to be at the place where we need to have maximum helpfulness to others, so never hesitate to go anywhere where we can be helpful. I cannot do this if I am ruled by my defects of character. So that is why this step, to me, is the most powerful because this is what's going to allow me to stay connected with that power and with you around me. And if I do not stay connected to the power and my fellows, 
I am recovered today, but let me tell you that within three or four days, I will be back in the food if I do not do these steps as a daily practice. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Michelle H. from Missouri. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You, and happy anniversary to everyone on the line. I'm so grateful and feel privileged to be on the line sharing my Step 8 experience with all of you today. And I'm just, um, um, what a powerful meeting so far. OA, um, I, Overeaters Anonymous, I came into this program in 2005. Um, my height was five foot two and a half inches, and my highest weight that I remember getting on the scale to read was 186. I got abstinent on October 20th, 2010, by the grace of God, and released a total weight of um, 73 pounds after decades of trying to control my eating. The delusion that I could eat like a normal person was finally smashed, but not until I had had, you know, decades of trying and failing on so many diets I can't even count them. I had this false belief that since I could lose the weight after I gained it back, I still had some control. I had two years of abstinence when I came into OA, and that caused me to believe that I still had control. I believed that my food plan was my solution. Um, In 2010, the time between my binges got so short that I could not last 20 minutes without succumbing to the desire for food and falling back into that downward spiral when the phenomenon of craving developed after I took that first bite. Today, the central fact for me is that my creator has entered into my heart and into my life in a way which is indeed miraculous. The way it happened for me is through these 12 steps as described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So step eight, I continue the process towards wholeness, towards being recovered and living a new life, a life of freedom from the food and from the bondage of self. As already we've reviewed in steps one through three, I established a relationship with my higher power. In steps four through seven, I restored my relationship with my true self, the good and the bad, the all of me, as stated in the Step 7 prayer. I see the truth about myself. I accept the truth. And now with God's grace, I move on in my spiritual process to Step 8. This step is where I look at my relationships with others. I took my list of names from my Step 4 inventory. I was directed to write down these names and then write down the specific harm that I had caused them. I sought help from my higher power, asking to see if there were any other people that I had harmed that were not on my list as I look back over my life. I did this to the best of my ability. God helped me to see my negative attitudes and negative thinking and how it had resulted in my inappropriate behavior causing harm to others. I had some difficulty seeing the harm that I had caused to my mother. I had created and told my own story of how my mother had caused me physical and emotional harm. In this step, I was directed to write down the harm that I had caused to her. It was only through prayer for the willingness to see and the help of my sponsor guide that I finally saw the harm that I had caused. My retaliation or harm to my mother was to withhold my love to her. I wrote down the specific ways in which I withheld my love to my mom, my specific actions, my specific behaviors, because it was only by getting specific that I could then turn to God, as it states on the page of the bottom of 69 in the big book, In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. My sponsor always directed and still directs me to spend quiet time with God until the answer comes. 
Then, once the answer comes, I discuss the possible amends with her. As I was writing my step nine, I'm sorry, my step eight list, step nine was looming large in my mind. Now my mind was starting to fill with rationalizations. My mind, my ego or self-will started coming up with reasons or excuses to minimize the harms that I now saw that I had caused to others. I remember noticing my thoughts like, oh, maybe an amends doesn't really need to be made in this situation. This was a form of balking or stalling. And when I discussed these thoughts with my sponsor, she would remind me, Michelle, remember you made that decision to go to any lengths. I could hear her saying, still today, first the food has to die and be surrendered to your higher power. And now that the food was down, the actions directed by these steps will deflate the ego so that self-will can die. If I wanted that freedom from self-will and freedom from the bondage of food, I would need to follow the directions precisely as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor reminded me over and over again that self-will cannot get rid of self-will. Only God, a higher power, can get rid of self-will. And God does that, exactly this, through the 12 steps. I gave up my excuses and continued to pray for willingness. I had trusted the process of the steps so far and felt the miracle of surrender of food. I had nothing to lose if I kept trusting and continued the action of the steps. I trusted my sponsor's words that I would be recovered after I completed step nine. The only proof that I had was in what I saw in my sponsor. By this time, I saw that my sponsor had much more than just a thin body. I saw a person living a life based on principles. I so much wanted that way of life, too. How would I know if I was willing to make the amends? My sponsor shared that it was her experience that she was ready when she was no longer angry but felt a shift, and my amends could then come from a place of love once I felt this shift. It was in step eight that I experienced the shift in my attitude and my thinking that would enable me to go ahead and be ready and willing to make these amends. In order to be willing to make an amends, I needed the proper attitude. I needed an attitude of forgiveness. I did experience this shift from anger and resentment to a feeling of compassion for the people on my list. I believe that my shift in attitude came while I was cooperating with my higher power through prayer. I was directed to pray for the people on my list. I prayed the resentment prayer on page 67 as well as the prayer on page 552 to pray for them everything that I wanted for myself. This was part of my Step 8 work. I describe my Step 8 experience is when I became willing and had a shift in my attitude to make amends to someone that I had once resented. It is God, my higher power, that opens me to the awareness of the harm that I have caused. Two years ago, I started participating in a 12-step big book workshop. Through the work I was doing in that workshop, I became aware of two relationships where I had caused harm that had not been on my first step eight list. I became aware of a harm that I had done in sixth grade. It came to me while I was watching a movie about a boy who had been bullied at school and the impact that it had made on his entire life into adulthood. Into adulthood. I had remembered for years the bullying that that boy had done to me. I thought I was a perfect victim and had not started the ball rolling. God opened my consciousness to remember what I had done to him. I had teased him for having to stay after school to be helped by a teacher with his classwork. I then realized the impact that my negative attitude and words had on him. I now could see why he had retaliated against me with his negative behavior. 
God opened my eyes to see the truth about my behavior while sitting in that dark theater. I became willing to go to any lengths to right this wrong. I prayed for the answer to right this wrong. When the answer came, I discussed my possible amends with my sponsor. In the workshop, I also heard that if there was anything in my past that I couldn't talk about openly, then I was holding on to a secret. As I became aware of a secret that I hadn't shared with my sponsor, I became willing to share it. I had shared it once before in another program, and I felt shamed after I had shared it and didn't realize that I had stuffed it down deeper and deeper inside of me. I became willing to share it with my sponsor and let it see the light of day and repair the damage that I had caused in this relationship and also was able to see that there were other relationships involved that I hadn't seen originally. So I, again, prayed to know what to do in this specific matter and then discussed the amends with my sponsor. How has Step 8 been life-changing for me? In my Step 8 experience, God helped me to see what I had difficulty seeing, my flaws and the harm that I had caused. I also became aware that the flaws I saw and resented in others were the same flaws or character defects that were in me. My sponsor has told me that the people on my path are there to hold up a mirror for me to see myself. The people I had resented had and still do to this day become my greatest teachers. Step eight is part of the process that will bring more ego deflation. I now have a specific list and a specific plan. I am ready to move forward with this plan in order to have a new way of life and to experience real freedom. Thanks, I pass. Thank you, Michelle. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure others. Chelsea H., New Jersey. Thank you, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater just for today. Um, Happy anniversary of Vision for You. And I'm really grateful to share how step nine was life-changing and profound for me and continues to be as I do them, if I have to, in my step tens, and uh, share how I went from diseased to being ready to recover after crawling back in these OA rooms for the umpteenth time uh, in March 2013, well over 325 pounds and gaining. And um, I saw what I call my three Ebbies, all of who the problem had been solved, and it was just a marvelous thing to witness. But more than that, what I learned as was that all I needed was a little bit of willingness to commence my uh, journey for the process of change. And that meant following directions as outlined in the big book and starting with putting down the food, uh, coming to understanding of what it was to be absolutely powerless and then admitting it that my life was unmanageable, was evident of me being in there in that condition health-wise, totally deteriorating and everything and all the other myriad of things that we've heard about the powerlessness part. And then I had to come to the realization that since I was powerless, I needed some kind of relationship with power because I tried six ways to Sunday to beat this thing and I couldn't get it done. So I was just as screwed as everyone else. And I had to uh, figure out how to deal with my life, with living, and establish some kind of relationship. So step three, I had to make a decision to turn to that. And since I am of agnostic temperament, borderlining on atheism, I had a little extra work to do with just coming up with some type of a framework for what was going to be um, 
what I would turn to. <laughs> and that for me was actually a wonderful experiment because I really dug into that we agnostics. And I learned a number of things that the wording, of course, was quite optional. The big book assured me uh, that's uh, on page 63. And then also I learned that much to my relief, I didn't have to need another's conception of God. So with all that put in check, I was able to realize I wasn't God and I was able to move forward to do my moral inventory and I launched into that right away. I was so blessed to have a guide who let me have my own experience with this material. And uh, shine, she was just there as a lantern to shine on the, the light on the path that she had taken. And I could have my own experience with that journey. And then I became entirely ready to have the defects removed, or I call them issues, that stood in the way of my usefulness. And I got real humble and quiet with what I call my guide of destiny, my divine director, Didi, I call it. And um, uh, whatever shortcomings I had or whatever issues I was dealing with, I became willing to turn all that over to a power greater than myself. So then step nine, step eight, I made that list that was so uh, just talked about, and I became willing to make amends to all of them. In fact, I was eager for step eight because I wanted to experience it because as I continue to experience this process, I know, and then I don't have to look at this book as anything except a a set of instructions that I can pull out the actual instructions and implement them as needed in life now. So the big book was telling me that the purpose of doing the ninth step was to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. So I was trying to tell me to put my life into order, but that was just the ha- that was only the half of it. The real reason was because I needed to become other centered because it had also told me back on page 62 that selfishness and self-centeredness was the root of my whole problems. So uh, having had my list and actually eager to get going so I could have the experience, I, um, again, had a guide that let me have my own experience with um, how I would relate to my divine director, Didi, and get clarity, what I felt was clarity, on what I call freedom junkets. I call step nine freedom junkets. And every time I go on one of these junkets, from the outset, every amends continues to make me freer and freer and freer, so that by the end of that uh, particular experience, the only question remains is how free do you want to be, Charles? How much more free do you need to be? And that meant action and more action. So I um, had already uh, learned how to turn in to the source greater than myself, and I was able to implement that. So one of the um, experiences that I want to give of my ninth step is one of the junkets I went on that I just lived recently because I tried to not live on yesterday's awakening because I tend to doze off when I do that because yesterday's spiritual awakening can't sustain me. So one of the newer uh, freedom junkets that I went on was a living amends with uh, Miss Alice, my mom. And the journey encompassed the whole process of the 12 steps. It was an amazing experience because I had to do a demonstrative, a living amends to my parent, to my um, Miss Alice, my mom, what it talks about on page 77 about the demonstration of goodwill rather than me talking about my spiritual discoveries. So she became ill 
And one of the things that I was exposed to was seeing what it was when it was talked about earlier, door number one and door number two. I got to witness and live and experience because I had chosen to live on a spiritual basis. But I was also taking care of someone who had chosen door number one and witnessing the destruction, alcoholic destruction. And I get a little... um, choked up about it because it was truly a, a, a wash of understanding the whole idea of what it is to truly love thyself, love thy neighbor as thyself, and to actually give without expecting anything in the outcome. I had never done that. I had been selfish to the core. I had been very selfish most of my life, and um, I was pretty me-centered all the time. But I got to live this um, spiritual life to see that it was not just a theory. And then my behavior, I got to do the amends in real time. I got to take care of her. I got to spend time watching shows on TV that I would never watch. And I got to do it with a laughing heart like I have now. And I got to experience and be there for her as she made her transition. And I I lived what I hadn't done to her because most of my life I had condemned her for being a bad mother. I had condemned her for having so many children that each each child couldn't get individual attention. I had condemned her over and over again, and it manifested itself by me um, keeping myself away from her or if she needed anything, just throwing money at it, isolating from everything. And this was a woman of the cloth. We were raised holy and sanctified, very religious woman, and I have since become Um, of agnostic temperament, as the big book talks about. But I was able to sit there and read the Bible to her because she could no longer hold it or anything. And I had been seeped in the Bible, so I got a a real kick out of being able to actually read it with, you know, the um, spirit that I thought she would enjoy it in and to kind of give the characters some flavor. Then again, I'm a dramatic thing anyway. Most of you know I share that on the line. But the change that came over me during that amends as in all the other ones, each one, that freedom, that that comfort and calm, that place of serenity, that position of neutrality that I'm living in the now, what's happening right now, my shift in consciousness, that's what step nine in real time did for me. The change, the radical alteration in my emotions, my attitudes, my ideas, as a result of walking through all of those 12 steps, it it was beyond anything that I could have ever um, thought of, beyond any best opening night I had. I'm a performer, and one of the highlights of your life is opening night. And I thought that that was the pinnacle, having many different opening nights, but it pales in comparison to anything that I live today, practicing all these principles in all my affairs and experiencing the Step 9 Freedom Runs. Because I, it, it really lays out to me, when Bill saw Ebby, sober, fresh-faced, glowing, he wondered how he had escaped. How he had escaped. How did he get his freedom? And now I can have experienced it, and I understand and I know now that it was through going through a process of self-elimination, the elimination of self and becoming other-centered. To me, that's where the God of my understanding, my deity, lives there. Everybody, to me, is love and God, love and tolerance of everything, 
is to me what God exemplifies, or if I had to give any kind of definition, because I don't think it's any kind of outside entity or anything. I think it's all internal. And I continue to clean up the wreckage, which is what it says step nine was. It says that now we go out to clean, now we go out to our fellows to repair the damage. And it offers us a number. I'm not just sent out there. By, the, by this point in the work, and again, having such a wonderful guide who allowed me to have my experiences, we were able to work together before I went out to someone. I got the consent. There's a whole, um, from page 76, all the way to page 84, eight, actually 83, when we get to those promises of the ninth steps, I um, have I've prepared for it. I've done all the other work. And there's all these instructions in here for any situation that could come up that I could go to. And it's telling me no remorseful mumbling, none of this I'm sorry stuff. It's got to be a substantial one. They give me a great example in there of a couple examples. But the one I like most is the one about the guy who stood up in church and he had made it a public amends because the amends had to match what he had done. He had disparaged someone in public, so it had to be done in public. And no fanfare, and it was just a matter of fact, and the man went on to live free. Change, change, that freedom, shift in my consciousness. And it wasn't done by me because I hadn't been able to do it. It was done to me. And I don't know how or when or why, but it sure was because I had the experience and I know. So it was not the step nine for me, allowed me to have those promises, which I've come to understand, heal those spiritual wounds of the soul. My soul became whole. So then I was able to get serenity and peace. I was able to experience and comprehend. And I began to realize that this way of living this other-centered way of living, which to me is where the spirit of the universe lives, living without any investment in the outcomes is something for me that works in my life. And for the last two years, since I picked up that spiritual toolkit that my big book guide laid at my feet for my own inspection, walked the path she walked to freedom, she served as my channel, the sunlight of the spirit through her lit the path, and I had my own experience. And I truly found that that flimsy reed that was stretched out turned out to be my guide of destiny, which is deep down inside of me, directing my life in the stream of life. And it's one day at a time. And I used to sing this song, Change. And now every time I think about that, a change, a change has come over me. These 12 steps truly changed my life. And now I'm free. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Chelsea H. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Melanie C. from Oregon. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I have an abstinence date of November 5th, 2005, and as a result of living the steps one day at a time, like my life depends on it, have maintained a 150-pound weight loss for over eight and a half years because the obsession of the mind to take that first bite has been driven out of me. Step 10 is a focus for me. I ask especially to share my experience with Step 10 because of the profound change that has come over my daily living, out of my old horrible behaviors and head to interacting with the world around me, finally growing graciously. 
It has not been easy being Melanie, and that's a line that I borrow from a fellow, but I want to emphasize it has not been easy and continues to challenge me regularly. However, as a result of the serious, continuous, detailed application of Step 10 on each disturbance in my day, I live without compulsive overeating and all of the subsequent tragedies that has developed and emanated out of me as a result of doing so. The active practice of Step 10 is the key that unlocked the door that opened my eyes so that I could see the proper perspective of the world, God's vision, not that narrow lens of Melanie's vision. That is in direct contrast to every experience that I had up until the implementation of this step in my daily living. Whenever I had a twinge of resentment, fear, selfishness, dishonesty, I learned to grab for this step and work it through precisely as directed. That spot check on the maelstrom of my mind and emotions. The outcome is clear and now I'm behaving and responding in a much more civilized manner. I am now accepting of differences as a result of continuing to enlarge my spiritual life and keep in fit spiritual condition with step 10. What is fit spiritual spiritual condition? Well, it's aligning with God. Well, what is aligning with God? It's a simple, practical application of step 10 on my disturbances to live in peace and harmony no matter what is going on around me, transformed by my higher power through that step. If I did not agree with someone or something, then I would condemn and criticize using sarcasm and hateful language, fooling myself as powerful. That wasn't powerful. That was just lazy, ugly ego stealing a place for me by spoiling a life of another with or without any knowledge and understanding. I possessed no true empathy. I was threatened when there was no threat, and I determined that I had a right to behave and act the way that I did, which was horrific. I was born into a really difficult family situation. And on the milder side, this family would be considered confusing and inconsistent. (laughs) In this sort of environment, it was unlikely that I would learn the cues necessary to navigate the world around me with any sort of success. Well, that set my feet on a path to forge and scrounge, scrape and scrap for a place for survival. And I no longer had that perspective, that place of negativity, that it was survival. I see my experience as qualities of strength building, assets of perseverance, and courage to hold on, no matter what. I am free from what I used to wallow in as self-pity and a crutch to do nothing, to the point of revering this as a gift, a real gift of character, a result of working fiercely, step 10 in this case, on my family in particular. The man that became my husband I met during a very dark, dark time in my life. This time in my life proved to be the onset of the horrific descent into this disease, the bottom of all bottoms. You know, he gave his life to try and save me. He did not breathe this way or that way unless he thought it would serve to make me happy, and that was a full-time job. He had no time for himself. Ultimately, my actions and my behavior and my words took him to that dark place with me. He became a shell of a human, hollow, almost zombie-like. Well, what finally came from this may very well be the greatest miracle of all of this 10th step. One, I am still married. He did not go away. Two, he is alive to life, an individual, 
whole and renewed. His significance is profound and his humility stunning. He taught me so much in the way of empathy, compassion, forgiveness, tolerance, and love that I was finally able to use outside of even this relationship. All of these attributes I was lacking, and he had. He lives them much more boldly now. His character has been my teacher. The 10th step made room for God to transform me to learn and practice this good behavior. The 10th step changed me, not him. The change in me gave him back to him. My greatest challenge and barriers to relationships has been my anger, and most specifically, my silent anger that I would press down, press down, and press down. It was my rage against the world and all its inhabitants towards the end there. And this anger actually manifests itself in countless ways. Anger in me has all the markings of the labels that you may have heard about or experienced in psychology circles. And I summarize this evidence as living in the dark side of my soul. And I was deep under it. I was taken over completely with it. Negativity coupled with criticism being the strongest pattern that emerged from that. It was my leader. The lead in and the lead out. All things were filtered through this. And that I altered this then with compulsive overeating because compulsive overeating worked with no effort, and that's all that I wanted. I wanted something to fix something without any effort on my part. I had no working mechanism for helping myself in any other way. I tried and I tried. Boy, if I could have a nickel for every single time that somebody would say, if she would only apply herself. Huh. Anger proved to be the lethal and toxic thing that turned on me faster than I could put food upon it. It destroyed every opportunity that ever came my way. But most importantly, it destroyed my family and my relationships over and over and over again. And I ended up alone. Let me give you some word examples of the disturbances that I put my 10-step work to that come up for me. Anger, jealousy, boredom, imbalance, unrest, unsettled, perplexed, troubled, annoyed, pressured, bothered, threatened, rejected. I'll throw in there even being excited too. <laughs> Confused, challenged, denied, confronted, accused, fearful, impatient, expectant, discouraged, failure, dread, and doubt. Those come up often in me. What an interesting thing to be able to capture those and know they don't drive me and lead me anymore. Step 10 as a practical activity teaches me to take any disturbance through the 10-step process. And initial, initially for me, it was any and all disturbances, just as those that I mentioned when they come fleeting through, through this 10-step process. I took the directions from the big book on page 84, paragraph 2, and I parceled each one of those out as a specific instruction and literally ran them through a four through nine. Now remember here that step 10, in its essence, is steps four through nine in the, con in the context of recovery, but it's done very, very quickly as the directions instruct on that page. Yep, the smallest gnat that I would call those no-seems that would agitate me. 
with that practice, I was able to catch them quickly and not live in them or react from them. So let me give you an example of a gnat. I'll let you peek into a, a whirlwind mind gush so you'll know what it looks like for me to have to activate a step, step 10 process. And this may not be for you, but it is for me. So here's an example. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe she just left that old shopping cart right here in this prime sparking spot, parking spot, leaving it blocked. And crap, it's raining outside. What a hag she is. My gosh, does she not think of anybody else? I suppose she is so stupid and so in self-centered that she can just do what she wants to do any, any way, anyhow. And I suppose she doesn't have an education nor a dime to her name. Well, I'll leave it at that because it really the mind wash goes further than that. It's like a brainstorm of some sort, I'm sad to say. Hopefully you get some sort of sense of my brain activity in one tiny, tiny, tiny example. So you could see I could become outraged by any such little thing like this, just tiny nuisances, but it was dangerous for me. And in these cases, oftentimes, a flood of adrenaline would rain upon me, or in milder cases, I would just think about it all through the day, just reliving it. Well, what's the character defect showing either side, inside me or outside of me that I noticed here? Well, I noticed rage, ego, self-righteousness, self-pity, and fear at the very least. These I had to capture. I had to put this to the higher power through this 10-step process for transformation. The outcome of each and every question answered in the 10th step with these character def defects in mind reveals to me where I put this whole thing in motion, my part in it. My past woundedness was threatened somehow and drove me to project my ire onto a shopping cart and its driver. Yeah, the shopping cart and its driver. Truth be revealed here, I took this personally because it's all about me. Every time I perceive a threat, I will act this way unless and until I can see my part. The 10th step is roadmap to my part. Revealing my part shapes my thinking to see where this kind of reacting can be captured. The experience, more often than not, is not what it appears. So the work in the end leaves the door open for higher power to transform me. The door remaining open is the goal. As long as the door is open, my higher power has access. This process removes the disturbance by restoring me to right thinking. Disturbance gone, the door to change remains open. As long as the door is open, my higher power promises to change me, and that has been the truth. If there is no disturbance, there is no reason to compulsively overeat. Step 10 is the essence of living happy, joyous, and free in each day's march for this compulsive overeater. Steps 1 through 9 is being reborn. Step 10 is a lifetime of finishing school for Melanie. Becoming conscious of my intentions, I am developing humility, which makes it possible to receive God's transforming help by grace and unmerited favor, because I have not done this. I am free. What a feeling. Happy anniversary of vision for you. I pass. Thank you, Melanie C. Step 11 thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Terry H. from Maine. Good morning. A vision for you and happy three-year anniversary. And um, it's definitely a it's an honor and a privilege to be sharing my experience with Step 11 this morning. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine, and uh, just want to thank the rest of the panel 
um, for um, sharing their experience, strength, and hope with each step. Um, step 11, um, what it has, how it has changed me on my journey. Um, uh, a little bit about my, my stats. Uh, you know, it took me a long time to get here, and um, I had lots of, uh, lots of research to do, and um, I had no idea about, you know, um, my disease aspect, and I continued to do it my way for a long time. And there was a couple times in there, you know, um, I had hit three bottoms in this journey. Um, the first bottom was in, you know, the early 80s, and I came into the room, but I did not take any action. Um, I just uh, developed my own food plan, which was not good um, because it still had um, my my alcoholic foods. I was still consuming them. Um, my second bottom got me into OA. Um, it got me abstinent for three months, and um, but no recovery. And with no recovery, um, which is the piece of the solution, um, it took me back out for a four-year relapse. And then my last and final bottom um, got me to God in 2004 and the process of recovery of the 12 steps. And I'm so forever grateful that um, it took every bite to get me here. And uh, um by the grace of God, you know, I get to stay here one day at a time. Step 11 um, has really um, had a, a great impact in on my life. Um, you know, uh, just a little bit about uh, about me, you know, I was uh, uh, the youngest out of six. Um, my mother was single, um, and it was told to me on, at an early age that um, uh, I had lots of trauma and drama in my family, and uh um, it was told to me at an early age that um, my mother tried to get rid of me. So I had these old beliefs that um, that I was not supposed to be here in the world, that I was a mistake, um, that there was a God that did not love me, that I was here to be to be punished. And, and that was my belief from an early age um, up until this process. So in that process, I was always looking for external things to fix an internal condition and... Um, you know, those things took me to the food, you know, um, to other outside issues. And um, in 2004, I hit my bottom. And so step 11, you know, for me, you know, it says on page 85, you know, suggest prayer meditation. We shouldn't be shy in this matter. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. So for me, what was that proper attitude that I had to start out with a step and um, for me, that proper attitude was four things. It was um, commitment, humility towards prayer and meditation, courage, and faith. And that would bring me to a level of humility with the attitude of powerlessness. Because if, you know, um, to continue this journey, I needed to remember what my problem was in step one, and that um, I needed this power to continue one day at a time to live um, this this happy, joyous, and free life. Um, so step 11, you know, I love it because it gives such clear-cut directions. You know, it gives, you know, guidance for, you know, what to do at night. On page 86, it says when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. What we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? And then it gives the list to the checklist to um, see, you know, how you, you know, miss the mark during the day and where I need God's help even more the next day. Um, and that has been... Um, such a blessing to do on a, on a nightly basis. And then a little bit further down on the same page, you know, it tells me what to do on the, in the morning. It says, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. 
reconsider our plans for the day before we begin, we ask. So it was pointed out to me, you know, anytime it says we ask, it's a spiritual discipline. That we ask that God direct our thinking and especially ask that we be divorced and self-pity, dishonest and self-seeking motives. So, you know, for me, this was about really, you know, um, changing my thinking and giving it to God on a, on a daily basis you know, daily basis and to receive God's direction in my life and, and to have the power to carry that out from this from this God's God's direction. So um you know the next the next um place it's gonna tell us what to do throughout the day. So now I have what I'm gonna do at night, what I'm gonna do in the morning and you know what I'm gonna do through the day, which is on page eighty seven. It says as we go through the day we pause when agitated or doubtful. We ask for the right thought or action. So this is where I ask again, this is the prayer, you know, spiritual discipline. And as I go through the day, you know, this is telling me that I get to trust this God, you know, of my understanding and that he will provide what I need on a daily basis. Um, It says we constantly remind ourselves that we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. And um, uh, this was, you know, part of the part of the prayer where, you know, um, I get to keep turning this this um, prayer to, you know, turning to this power grid in myself and, and asking, you know, um, God's will to be done and not mine. And it gave me a, a different direction. And, um, you know, the word pause was a powerful word for me because um, I was taught early on that, you know, to look at it like this, you know, when confused, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout, we pause. And, um So when I'm starting to get a little agitated or doubtful, this is my cue to just be still and uh, be quiet. And, you know, I have an acronym for pause, and it's uh, please assist until serenity enters. And I've used that acronym over and over again. Um, It says we constantly remind ourselves we're no no longer running the show, meaning, you know, God is now directing my life from this point on. And, um, you know, humbly saying to myself many times each day, you know, again, that prayer, thy will, will be done. And for me, that means, you know, just carry get out of the way, you know, that, um, uh, you know, I just need to need to leave some work for God that now I get to represent what this God would have me be on a daily basis. And um, I'm so grateful, you know, um, for a guide, you know, for, for a step guide that, that brought, when I got to the step, you know, she, she knew me pretty well up, up until this point, and she said this would be the step of, you know, uh, discipline and, and time and that um, she knew me so well that she said, Terry, any time that you say you don't have time, it's not that you don't have time, it's just that you're not making it a priority. And um, and that really helped, you know, um, really, because she knew me and, and, and this is a step that said takes time. And, and she suggested that I start out with a three-minute timer each day, you know, with that uh, prayer meditation and you know, to set it for three minutes and, and why for three minutes, she said it was just a constant reminder that um, the three minutes would represent step three, um, to be turned to this power and make this this decision and commitment every day that um, I would give time to God. And and um, each week, you know, after that, I was to increase the time. And I will tell you that three minutes, you know, felt like three hours at, at times in the beginning. And, and she would say, you know, um, increase that time, you know, each week. And and as as a result of that three minutes, you know, my, my life has changed, you know, dramatically because I've, you know, I've put the time in and, 
it's it's kind of interesting to me what I've you know found out that you know the more time I I put in put in with this relationship with God the more time I get and um, I don't know how that works but it just does and you know I remember seven years ago I attended um, this big book conference and uh, um, it's really helped me this the the speaker at the time said you know he said um, if you go to the ocean with a thimble you get a thimble full of ocean to ask myself how big is the ocean so if you look at the ocean the ocean is pretty big and, um, you know, he, he said, you know, look at it the same way with meditation. How big is my God and how much, how much do I want, you know, of this power? So every day that I can, that I can you know, I get to spend, spend time and experience the love that, um, that I, I have had the privilege of receiving each day. And, and by receiving that love, you know, I get to share this love with others. And that has been my journey because today I know that, it was, I was, you know, God's plan, and I, I have a purpose today, and I'm so grateful that every day I get to show up and, and work for a God in my understanding. Um, I have been transformed by a change in my thoughts, words, and actions as a direct result from Step 11, and um, that guy told me to look at this step as like going going to a bowling alley, and, um, you know, you're at the bowling alley, and you have bumpers on both sides, and Step 11 is going to help me. Um, to stay, to stay in the lane um, each day that I take the time to put into prayer meditation. And um, what has helped me with this step is to remember that, uh, you know, to pray for the willingness every day to uh, put the time into this, this uh, step 11. And, you know, it's helped me to apply the six Ps. And the six Ps for me, you know, with step 11 is to practice patience, um, to practice, have patience, be persistent, um, to be present, to continue to persevere, and to remember to pause when agitated or doubtful. And um, I'm so grateful that, you know, with this conscious contact that I get on, on a daily basis, I get to go outside of this book. And and some of the things that, you know, I, I do to um, stay um, connected with this power is um, that I'd like to just share before I close is, you know, I have a chime on my watch that goes off every hour, and it's remind me just to check in with God. Um, the second thing that I, I do is, you know, every doorway that I walk through, I give I give God a smile or just a, a thank you or, or just some kind word um, as a constant reminder, you know, that I need this this contact on, on a regular basis. Um, I also, you know, every incoming phone call, I invite God in before picking the phone up. Um, and every red light that I come to, you know, it's a, it's another opportunity to check in with God. And then um, I just um, added, um, because that's what I love about Step 11, it always changes. And um, I've just added, you know, every doorknob that I, that I open, I invite God to go first and so in closing, um, what I have learned with Step 11 is um, how I start my day is how I'm going to live my day, and how I live my day is how I'm going to live my life. Thanks for letting me share, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Terry H. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Becca W. from Maryland. Thank you, Maya, for all your service uh, with this phone line. Thank you to everyone who has presented. What a wonderful program today. 
and happy anniversary to A Vision for You. This phone line is a major reason why I'm recovered today. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. There are three major themes in this step that ring true for me. The first is result of these steps. The second is practice carrying the spiritual awakening. And the third is in all our affairs. So the first theme, result of these steps, this is not just looking at the steps on the wall. This is not tuning the steps out when someone reads them in a meeting. This is not saying I've been on step four for four years. This is working them. If we do not admit we are powerless, define and connect to our higher power, clear our wreckage, face our character defects, and learn how to embrace our assets, we will not have a spiritual awakening. We will still be blocked from God. It takes work to live in freedom. The spiritual awakening only happens as a result of these steps. The second theme is practice carrying the spiritual awakening. Let's break this into pieces. Practice means every day, to the best of our ability. Carry. What are we carrying? Our baggage? Our bad attitudes? Our resentments? Our fears? No. No longer do we have to be weighed down. We carry our true spirit, God's light. He powers us. We now have wisdom. We have words of hope. We inspire at meetings. We demonstrate selfless service. We have compassion for those who are still struggling because we've been there. We embrace the very thing that brought us into these rooms, weakness. We are able to offer support to those who feel weak, who desperately need and want change. But we cannot do the work for them. They have to want it so badly that they will follow all direction of those who followed direction before. We carry our spirit everywhere we go, infusing God's light into all we choose to love, and we await opportunities God presents us to be of service. Spiritual awakening. What does awakening mean? I looked it up, and it means to rouse from sleep. So how is my spirit sleeping? God wanted me to be a teacher and a healer from birth. He put challenges in my life beginning at two years old. And if it weren't for the challenges in my life, specifically compulsive overeating, I would not have the incredible life I have today. But again, I had to do the work. I had to look back at my life and essentially take the lessons and the beautiful memories and then let everything else go. At two years old, I was sexually abused. At two and a half, I was testifying against my father in court. My mother got me and a piano in the divorce. And from as far back as I can remember, maybe like five years old, I watched my mother compulsively overeat over everything that happened to us when I was younger. She was a 400-pound role model for me most of my life. And behaviorally, it's what I learned. And before I knew it, I was doing it too. Food was scarce when I was growing up because we were so poor, and I used to babysit and go over friends' houses, and I went nuts with the food. I remember one time I ate dinner at a friend's house, and she was having the Pillsbury Crescent rolls, and I kept eating them. And her mother finally said, do you think 10 is enough? No, it wasn't enough. 
My weight fluctuated my entire young adult life, diet after diet, up and down. I would lose it for an event, um, for a weight loss contest at work for a man, but I could not deny the other side of my disease. I am a real compulsive overeater. I have an allergy to certain foods. And as much as I try to stay away, eventually something I was allergic to would get into my system and I would be off and running 50 pounds back on again. And five years ago, I left a man who hated my body for a man who could care less about it. I finally had the freedom to lose weight for me and no one else. But I had my insane mind leading the way. I thought it would be a great idea to try out for a very popular weight loss TV show, but I knew if I was going to be considered, I had to be at least 100 pounds overweight. So what did I do? I ate and ate and ate to 255 pounds, and my spirit went to sleep. I would wake in the morning, go to work, put sugar and caffeine in my body, binge all day, justify staying late because I had so much to do. But of course, I wasn't getting it done because I was binging all day. And then I would drive home ravenous. I'd hit a fast food place, not getting one meal, getting two meals. And I'd trash the evidence. And then when I got home, my boyfriend would say, did you eat? And I'd say, no, out of guilt and shame. And I'd have a third meal. Every day was the same. It was on repeat. I was powering my spirit with toxic foods and expecting my insane mind to solve my problems. But what if instead of powering my own spirit, I found a power greater than myself to power my spirit? The steps teach us how to find the power and fill our spirit with God. All the things we ate over, all the covers we shielded ourselves with, God says, let me handle all that. Just focus on filling your spirit with my power. And once we are filled with enough of his light, our spirit awakens. We become alive. We are filled with his light. It's coming out the strands of our hair like Evie. We're fresh-skinned and glowing. And the best part is now we know our purpose in life. Our purpose is to help others. We've been given the gift of recovery with one condition only. We must freely give it away. Concept three is practice these principles in all our affairs. What does it mean to practice these principles? For me, I do what it takes to stay powered by God. I protect my abstinence. I have an action plan. I do a 10th and 11th step inventory every night. I read the big book. I listen to a vision for you. I go to meetings. I connect with my fellowship. I work with a big book mentor. I have a sponsor. I am a sponsor. I do food inventories with people. I do service at my local meetings. I'm the chair of my intergroup. I'm a Region 7 rep. I'm a Region Committee chair. I speak at meetings. I go to retreats. I go to conventions. But is all of this really work? For me, absolutely not. This is literally the joy of my life. There's no condition in this program for me. Because freely giving it away is so spiritually rewarding. I receive such tremendous power from God when doing these things, and it trumps any self-will thought that it might not be worth my time to do it at all. When I practice this program, it gets easier. Easier to love who I am. Easier to connect to others and the world around me. This is a never-ending journey, but that's the best part 
My work today is to practice what I've learned in these rooms in all of my affairs. When I first recovered, I had a secondary addiction swoop in and take over. I lost 115 pounds. I'm a young, attractive woman. I had no idea what to do with myself or my body, and I got really out of control. But because I was honest in my daily inventory, because of my sponsees that I had to be a model for, and because at every meeting I heard practice these principles in all our affairs, I was able to stop it in its tracks, and God did for me what I could not do for myself. Just because I had the food down did not mean I could compartmentalize my recovery. Recovery is 360 degrees. I had to apply God to my entire life. If I'm sweet to everybody at OA, but I consistently go home and explode on my family, am I really recovered? I must practice carrying the spiritual awakening in all of my affairs, and that is my continued work for today. Step 12 outlines the gift we receive from God, and my gift back to God for granting me a spiritual awakening is to live in his design today. That is a very beautiful place. I can rest, relax, and know that God loves me and will take care of me. And when he needs me to act, as long as I am quiet enough to hear him whisper and still enough to feel his tap on my shoulder, he and I will be aligned in the design he has created for me. I am living a life I could never even dream of. I really never knew it could be this amazing. Miracles are everywhere. This program is worth the hard work. If you're in this program right now and you are fixated on having a spiritual awakening, you most likely will never have one. But if you come into this program admitting complete defeat, are willing to follow directions and be teachable, you can be rigorously honest, let go of the control, do the work, and let yourself tap into a power greater than yourself, your sleeping spirit will start filling up with God's light. You will have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. You will carry this message to compulsive overeaters. And for the rest of your life, you will want to practice these principles in all your affairs. With that, Leah, I pass. Thank you, Becca W. And thank you to all our speakers this morning. Contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording. Happy anniversary of Vision for You. You have just heard 12 recovered compulsive overeaters. Each have described in their own personal way how the 12 steps have made a life-changing impact on their minds and hearts, producing a profound and revolutionary change, resulting in freedom. Twelve voices woven together, a tapestry of transformation, creating a powerful message of hope and possibility. Twelve simple steps which anyone can apply. Yes, that means you too. How free do you want to be? We will now close with the reading from page 164.
Charles H. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Charles H. of Recovered Visionary, and I just want to say happy anniversary to a vision for you. And I want to say rest in peace uh, to Bill W., Dr. Bob, and Abby. Thank you. The legacy goes on. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you have found and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, as you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank 